to have you here this morning. A lot going on. As Dave said a moment ago, all the inserts are there for a reason, so please make sure you read them carefully so you won't miss out on anything. A couple things I want to let you know. We begin usually in the fall until spring with family experience. Ten minutes after the service is over in Kid Stuff Theater is an opportunity for parents and families and children from kindergarten to fifth grade to come together to learn the value of the virtue of the month. And that's today. So ten minutes after the service, make sure you go get your child, take them in there, and then go as a family. It's an opportunity for you to then share throughout the week what you're going to hear about this particular week and throughout the whole month concentrate on that one virtue or value. So take advantage of that. Also, over the next couple of Sundays, uh, not even sure when, whether it's going to be next Sunday or a few after that, but the welcome video on our website's a little bit dated, and every couple of years we want to update it, and so we have a film company that's going to come, a local one that we used before that's going to come here in a few Sundays. So if you're wanted by the FBI, uh, let us know that, because uh, you may be on film and they know where you're at. When you walk out these doors, you know as well as I do, unless you're in a cave somewhere on an island as remote as you can imagine, we're in the electoral process. Y'all know there's an election coming up, right? I don't know how you would have ever missed that. And uh, if you're not registered to vote, you should be. If you're able to be, you should be. And outside these center doors to my left is a table there, a lot of information on it. Some of it will help you. There's only two Sundays left where you can register to vote. So please take advantage of that. I, I will, I'll be really as honest as I know how to be. I'll be extremely disappointed if I find out anybody in congregation that I serve didn't vote. I really will. But I don't like either one of them. I get that. And I understand that. All kinds of excuses you can give. Regardless of who gets in, we have them for eight years. We have Supreme Court justices for a lifetime. I don't know, I don't like that system, I'm not sure why we have that system, but we do. That, to me, is more critical than who gets in for the next eight years. And they have a huge influence on that. At that table is a lot of information that Billy Graham Association put in their decision magazine in September, and I asked them, and they gave me permission to have it all run off. So it's out there on that table, what each side stands for, what each party stands for. So please take advantage of that, please read it. If you have not been registered to vote, Please do that and make sure you do on that November 8th date and seek God's face in prayer. Every sermon ought to do a number of things. It ought to stretch your mind, correct your thinking, warm your heart, or change your behavior. Now, a lot of them will do all of those things in one context. Some of them will do one or the other. But it ought to at least inspire you in some way or correct your thinking or stretch your mind or challenge you to change your behavior. The Apostle Paul wrapped it all up when he's writing to Timothy, a brand new pastor, and said, look, I want you to know that all of Scripture is God-breathed. Not a part of it or a little of it. All of Scripture is God-breathed. And he breathed life into it so that it could stand the test of time to be there to help us, to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us and deepen our walk with God. That's exactly what Paul's trying to do in the book of Ephesians. He's not just sharing information. He is sharing his heart, his soul, his passion, his burden, done so with the power of God's Spirit. That's what I've tried to do as we've studied this book. 
And what we're going to unpack over these next few days or next few weeks together is absolutely profound and life-changing to your life, to, your, to the way you sing on Sunday morning, to your understanding of the power of the Spirit, to the marriage you're in, to the family relationships you have, to the fight against the enemy. That's all that we're dealing with over the next few weeks together. And I'm telling you, it can change your life. So let's pray. God, I love the fact that for 2,000 years, with all the things we feel like we're losing in our religious freedoms and the things that we're able to do that maybe we once did or wish we could, the thing that has stood the test of time is your word. No matter what anybody says, heaven and earth will pass away. Your word never will. So we want to not only unpack it and learn from it, but we want it to change us. We want it to direct us. We want it to teach us. We want it to help us. We want it to guide us. And so, Father, in these weeks together, as we begin to unpack how to live out the life you've called us to, help me to do it well. Help your word to be so powerful that it literally can change something in somebody's life today and through these weeks together regardless of what they've learned in the past that they'll now begin to see who you are and the things you want to do in their life i really plead that that be done in these weeks together in jesus name amen the first three chapters of the book of ephesians paul's begins and has been talking to us about our position with christ when you and I accepted Jesus as Savior, now that's the assumption that I have of all of you here this morning. I don't know that for sure. But when you and I accepted Jesus as Savior, before Almighty God, we stood clean and redeemed. When God looks at us, he looks at us through Christ. When I accept him as Savior, and we're pure gold. And that's how he sees us. Positionally, when I accept Jesus as Savior, I stand before God, holy, redeemed, and righteous. Practically, there may be some areas in my life that need a little cleaning up. Maybe not for everyone. Maybe for a lot of us. Maybe for a few of us. i got to believe that in some way or the other, most of us are going to look at our life. We know before God we're positionally clean and holy, but practically there's some things in our life that we're wrestling with, we're struggling with, areas of our life that we need to deal with. And Paul says to us in chapter 4, verse 1, I'm begging you. Have your practice match your position. Live a life worthy of who you are in Christ. He's going to talk to us about some of the junk we need to get rid of. So that who we are matches what we claim over and over again. He's going to tell us, take some things off. These are things you need to quit doing. These are attitudes you need to get rid of. And then we get to do that all the way to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. Take this off. Don't do that. Change that attitude. Change that behavior. Change that way of thinking. Take that off. Don't wear that anymore. Now that you've done all of that, Ephesians 6, 9, put on the whole armor of God. These are things you need to strip off and take away. And when you do all of that, now you're ready to put on the whole armor of God. Because I'm telling you right now, we're in a battle. Now, I've heard that over and over again. I get articles all the time. People calling me all the time. Information in the mail. We're in a cultural war. We're in a battle. I know that. Absolutely know that for sure. We've been in one for the last 2,000 years. And Paul has given us, God has given us everything we need to prepare for that battle. 
But to be able to be ready for it, there, there are things in our life we need to get rid of because it's holding us back. And the enemy has access to that because we've given him the right to do that because we've kept it there. When Paul very clearly tells us through the word of God, there are things you need to get rid of. He said, now that you're a, a mature person, 1 Corinthians 13, I put away those childish things. Remember we said last Sunday morning, he's given us some pastors and evangelists, teachers and and pastors to help us mature in our faith so that we're not tossed to and fro, so that we can stand strong no matter what goes on around us, we can stand firm. So what are the evidences of that maturity? What does it look like? That's what he tells us here in case we wonder. You see, Christianity involves more than a system of beliefs. It is a lifestyle. Satan has a system of beliefs. If he went to a Sunday school class, he'd get all the answers right. He really would. Does Satan believe in God? I hear that all the time. Yeah, well, I believe in God. So does Satan. Does Satan believe that Christ is God? Yes. Does Satan believe that Christ died for the sins of the world? Yes. Does Satan believe that Christ rose from the dead? Yes. Does he believe in the second coming of Christ? Yes. He's more scared of it than you and I are, as a matter of fact, every once in a while. He has the right system of beliefs. But biblical Christianity is more than what I believe. It is an understanding of who I am in Christ, what he did in Christ, is being able to see that I've transferred all of my trust in myself and my money and my things and where I get value into the hands of Almighty Christ. I've given my life to him, and he runs all of my life. Every Sunday you walk in here, and you, you walk toward the children's wing, I hope at some point or the other, and there's huge letters, or maybe you go into the cafe to get a, a, a cup of coffee or, or a donut. And, and, and I love cream filled, by the way, or the glaze, whatever you want to bring it. The, somebody saw me drinking coffee between services and going, seriously, like you really need another cup of coffee to wind you up. <coughs> You'll see this, this large letters, you can't miss them. We are people, we are people being transformed by faith in Christ. What does transformation look like? I'm glad you asked, because he'll tell us what that looks like here in this context. When I give my life to Christ and I determine that I'm going to do everything I can to become like him, an amazing miracle takes place. I am becoming, I have become, and am becoming a new creature in Christ. I've got a new life. I've got a new hope. I've got a new standing before God. I've got new attitudes. I develop new behavior. I've got a new outlook on life. The things that I don't do anymore, there are things that I now do. Let me go into it and let you look at some of them. Ephesians 4, verse 17. I'm going to read all the way to the beginning of chapter 5. I, I, I love the fact that we have it here. We've got a Bible in front of you, and you've got apps all over the place, and I use the one on my iPad all the time. But I, I'd love for you to bring your Bibles as we unpack this, because there's some things every once in a while I'd love for you to highlight and point out as we do. Now, I tell you all of this. That's what Paul's saying here. All of this, everything that Christ did, who you were, what he offers, what he did, why I have evangelists and pastors and teachers in your life so that you can become mature in the faith, so that you're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, so that you can stand solid on God's grace. I tell you all of this. Matter of fact, I insist on it in the Lord that you can't live any longer like you used to. You must not live any longer as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They just simply quit. They just simply didn't listen to the voice of God. They didn't listen to the Spirit of God. They stayed where they were instead of letting God's Spirit speak to them. They've lost all sensitivity, verse 19. 
They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. (coughs) And they're full of greed. But that's not the way of life you learn. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self. Take all this junk off. Put on the new self in Christ. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the ultimate goal of our journey with God. In light of all of that, quit lying. In light of all that, put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, don't let the sun, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anybody who's stealing... Quit. You must steal no longer, but work. Do something useful with your own hands so that you may have something to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. How much? How much? Any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, which, but only that which is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ and God has forgiven you. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Among you, those who are being transformed, those who are following Christ, who have committed their lives to Jesus... There shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place. That's a long list. And you obviously realize now that it's going to take us a couple weeks to unpack it. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not like Paul sitting around saying, okay, let me see if I can think of every single sin that I know they want to get rid of in their life. Every single issue in their life. And let me give them a list so that they can look at the list and say, well, I don't do any of these, so I must be okay. There's a lot of people that do that. They look for a list. You give me a list, and I'll follow that, or I'll check them off. I don't do any of those, so I must be okay. Well, you do do this. And the Spirit of God has already pointed that out to you. It's not an exhaustive list. What he's telling us, let me try to give you some examples of some things in your life now that you're a follower of Christ and desire to be like him and you're going through the process of transformation that you need to get rid of, that you need to quit doing, that you need to get out of your life. Paul is going to point out that those who have faith in Christ who are really being transformed are going to notice that by the way they live, the lifestyle that they live. Jesus said when he began his ministry, look, a lot of people are going to follow after me. You'll be able to tell which ones are mine by the life they live, by the walk they walk, the talk they talk. Sermon on the Mount, very outset of his ministry. He said that, look, you're going to walk this kingdom road. You're going to walk with me as a follower of me. And I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you what God is like. As a matter of fact, I'll show you what God is like, which is what Paul refers to here. I'm telling you the truth. If you're going to follow me, you will look, act, think differently. You won't be the same. Now, a lot of people near the end of Jesus' ministry said, okay, that's just, this is just too hard. 
Do you, do you realize what's going on around me, Jesus? Do you realize the pressure I face? You don't know what my boss is like. You have no idea what my wife is like. You have no idea what my husband is like. Are you kidding me? I can't do this. This is just too hard. What you're calling us to is too hard. And that mass of people that followed him everywhere for the miraculous, to, to have their needs met, to have food, to have healing, began to walk away little by little. Jesus looked down at his disciples and said, are you leaving too? And Peter, who had always something to say and not always the right thing, said the classic statement, one of the classic statements of the New Testament. He said, where else will we go? Where else will we find life and eternity but in you? And that message has been transferring down through time since he left his ministry into the hands of the disciples and the hands of the disciples and the apostles and the teachers to be able to help people when you embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior and you invite the power of God's Spirit, we'll talk more about in a few weeks, you need to know there's some things in your life he's going to shave off, shape up, clean out so that you will think differently and act differently and talk differently. Your values will be different. Just saying the right words or even claiming that you're a Christian isn't it. The verifier of your faith is a distinction that it makes in how we live. If there is life in us, there will be signs of life. It's not just about raising your hand or repeating a prayer. It is a change of lifestyle, a radical transformation that begins when we raise our hand and say a prayer. But it never stops there. It only begins there. Jesus said, Paul said, Peter said, James said, unless there's a distinction in your living, there's a real good possibility that your nature hasn't changed. You have sermon notes next Sunday morning, and one of the verses that will be in there is Titus 1.16, when he says, they claim to know God, but their actions deny it. They're living contrary to what they profess. When Paul looked at the Corinthians, you, you ought to read the book if you've never read it. It is a church in a mess. From beginning to end, he looks at them and he says, after I see all the junk in your life, matter of fact, he also says it again before communion, maybe you ought to stop and take an examination of what's going on inside because I'm telling you, I don't think some of you are even in the faith regardless of what you claim by what I see. So maybe you ought to examine yourself to see if you really are in the faith because if your lifestyle and your attitudes and your actions and what comes out of your mouth and how it comes out of your mouth doesn't match what you claim, maybe you're not in. And that's where it starts. New creatures act like new creatures. Because of who I was, he rescued me in the midst of that death. And now because of what he's done, he's calling me to live a new lifestyle. Before I face pride, now I walk in humility. Verse 17, he's telling us not to like, act like the Gentiles do. When he uses the word Gentile, he's not talking about an ethnic group. He's talking about a way of thinking, a way of the world's thinking that is contrary to what we believe. Paul is saying, when you look at the, what, what the world thinks is important, where, where they get their values or where they get their priorities or where they find fulfillment and stuff and things and toys, you need to understand that you get your value in the fact that I am a child of the king. It's not in what I do, it's not in who I am, it's not in what I drive, it's not in where I live. It's in Christ and Christ alone. So that you can answer the question, who are you? And many of us will answer, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher, I'm a mill, whatever. The, you are a child of the living God. You're a son and a daughter of the king of the universe. That's who you are. The other things are what you do. 
And many times that will be fleshed out as you see it lived out. Those who follow me think more about the next life than this life. The world says what? You only go around once, man. Get all you can. Those who follow me recognize when this is all said and done, I stand before the God of the universe. When life is over, whether it's over at 20 or 100, I stand before the God of the universe. So in light of that knowledge, I look at this life and determine how I'm going to live it in light of that. For the world, they're going, who cares? You only go around once in life. doesn't really matter what happens when you're dead. Those who follow me live differently. The world exalts pride. You're called to humility. The world is fragmented. You're called to unity. The world is wrapped up in hate. You've been called to love. The world is out for number one. You've been called to give. Paul said you've got to change the way you look at life. Now, there are some who, because they don't want to make the changes, they don't want to do what's necessary, they don't want to really experience authentic transformation, they'll settle for what some will call pseudo-transformation. If you're not having a life marked by greater and greater amounts of love, you'll inevitably look for a substitute way of saying, well, I, I may not experience that and I may not live that out, but okay, these are the things that define me as a Christian. And they'll look for the list. This is what I do and this is what I don't do. They'll inevitably look for ways to do that. If, if I can't be transformed, then I'll settle for being informed. The first century A.D., <coughs> The rabbinic teaching, the rabbis in the Jewish culture, began focusing all of their energy and time on circumcision, dietary laws, Sabbath keeping, and the list was endless. They went from 10 to 680 rules. Seemed odd, because no devout rabbi would have said those things matter. They're not a heart of the law. The heart of the law is the Lord our God, the Lord alone, and you should love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So why did they focus on all these other things? Why did they add all of that? They wanted to add them as boundary markers, highly visible, relatively superficial practices that allowed people who on the inside could say, well, we're in, they're not because of all of these things. When Jesus walked on the scene, he said, no. You got the outside all cleaned up, but the inside, you're filthy. You look good. You're like whitewashed sepulchers. Tombs on the outside look so good, but inside you're full of junk. And he points constantly towards center, toward the heart. It's always issues of the heart, not the things we do or we don't do. Those things are an outcropping of what he's doing on the inside. You know as well as I do, Sheldon Van Aken and Dallas Willard, two of the ones that I point out here this morning, wrote this, the strongest argument for Christianity is Christians. Well, they're drawing life from God. The strongest argument against Christianity is whom? Christians. When they become exclusive, self-righteous, or complacent. Willard says this, how many people do I know and I've watched through life who are radically and permanently repelled from Christianity by Christians who are stiff and unapproachable, boring, lifeless, obsessive, and dissatisfied? Sadly, they're everywhere. And what they're missing is the freedom that comes from a biblical view of understanding of who I am and what God wants to do and a real understanding of the stuff in my life that I just need to get rid of so that I'm living out what I say I am. So he says, I'm, I'm telling you this, get rid of this junk. Man, it seems like, in verse 19, it seems like they've lost all sense of sensitivity. 
They've given themselves over to every sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. Verse 19, <laughs> when you look at that verse, okay, is there any taboos anymore? I mean, essentially, that's what he's saying. You know as well as I do, all kinds of junk and trash and movies and television and lists is endless, done for shock value, seeing what they can get away with, seeing how far they can push the envelope. All of us who are my age, just turned 63 a couple of weeks ago, all of us who are my age look back through the span of time from Andy Griffith and Lucy to some of the stuff you're seeing today and saying, what on earth happened? Those of you who are 20 who don't even know who Lucy and Andy Griffith is, you're just simply saying, that's all I see, this is all I know. But I'm telling you, if you were to live long enough to watch what we've watched and see what we've seen in the process of the cultural transitions, you're going, you've got to be kidding me. Sadly enough, we've become so desensitized to that that it doesn't really matter. Paul said, believers, you've got to realize, you've got to, in your mind, recognize that garbage in is garbage out. There are things in your life that you just can't see, things in your life that you don't need to watch, things in your life that when you do, it's going to influence your behavior. And I'm not telling you, I grew up then saying, okay, get rid of TV and don't go to movies. That was their answer. Great answer. I'm not saying that at all, and I don't think he says that. That's what he said. That's what we said in the 50s. The issue is use your thinking. Use your mind. Listen to the Spirit of God. There is stuff that you just shouldn't watch. There is movies you shouldn't go to. Well, my kids wanted to. Well, hello. Who's running the house? Well, I wanted to be able to be culturally sensitive to aware of the things going on around me, so I wanted to know what everybody was watching so I could have a decent and intelligent conversation with them. That was a good one. <laughs> I'm telling you. There are things, you know, we kid about it all the time. Oh, there are things in life you can't unsee. Right? There are things you can't unhear. And what Paul is saying is take responsibility, change your thinking, change your habits. Be aware of the influence it's going to have in your life and be aware of the fact that because I'm a follower of Christ and I know the effect that it's going to have on me, there are certain things that I can't go to that maybe you can and vice versa. But there are things in my life because the enemy is a keen observer of human nature and he knows your weakness and he looks for that moment and all of a sudden he said, I got it. When men specifically, because we're so visually stimulated, that when we see it all, that's what we want. That's what we think. That's how we look at life. And there are things, you know as well as I do, you cannot unsee. So Paul says, take some responsibility for that as a follower of Christ and get rid of that junk out of your life. Put off falsehood, verse 25. Be honest in your anger. Don't sin. Don't let the sun get down on your wrath. Get rid of falsehood. Speak the truth. Quit lying, not little lies, not white lies. Our society is filled with it. From a follower of Christ, no falsehood. Tell the truth. <laughs> I want to be sensitive when I say this, but you know, whatever they're selling. But did you ever once in a while come and a salesman says to you, just for you today, I've got a deal for you. Don't tell the manager, but I'm telling you, I like you. I really like you. And, and I'm going to make a deal for you. And you want to say Will you just tell me the truth? No matter where that is, and we, we've got to be truthful. The, 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 the hard part of it is when we look at some of the things that he's saying here in this particular context, when we shade the truth, when we 
deception and cheating and betraying a confidence, embellishment, exaggeration, gossiping, sitting in silence when the truth needs to be told. Paul said, get rid of that stuff. Falsehood of any form has no place in the life of a believer. Get rid of that stuff. Now, when I grew up, the big unpardonable sin in the church was divorce. Now it's homosexuality. And I'll talk honestly about that next Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna, I should entitle it PG because I'll be as honest as I know how in all the context of chapter 5, verse 3. And Christians are, are, are well known for that. They'll, they'll many times go to one or two extremes. They'll either have the truth with no love, and they'll call names, and they'll hold up signs, and they'll pick it and all that stuff, or love and no truth. It doesn't really matter. We're all in. You're all welcome, no matter what your lifestyle is, without truth. Now, there are a lot in the middle. But there are many that I've seen in my years of experience that usually end up truth without love or love without truth. And we pick out one or two. Well, I don't do that, so that's the one that keeps them out of the kingdom. Well, you gossip all the time. You rip people apart with your words. You do know that the tongue, he talks about it here, has the power to give life or to bring death. No, no, you don't do any of those, the biggies that everybody points out, but boy, do you do that. So what I love about what Paul's doing here, instead of this one or two things, not giving this, this exhaustive list of things that we need to deal with, things we need to get rid of. In your anger, don't sin. You can get angry. He says, in your anger. He knows you're going to get angry. There's inappropriate anger, which is spewing out a number of things that come in the context of that, that explosive, unpredictable anger that some of you may have grown up with. I just never knew what was going to set him off. Your mom, your dad. You just never knew what was going to set him off. So you ended up running around or walking around on eggshells because you were just waiting for that moment when they blasted you with words. That's inappropriate anger. That seething, boiling anger that's inside. And matter of fact, Jesus calls that kind of anger the very first step toward murder. He talks about the power of the tongue and what it does and how it destroys people and pulls them down. One of the greatest tools of the enemy to destroy people, families, and churches is the power of the tongue. One of the most lethal weapons known to man. More than a bazooka. And an M16, one of the most lethal weapons known to man is the power of the tongue. Paul says, you, that, that can't be you. That can't be who you are. And there, when we look at this context, and we'll pick up here next Sunday morning, Paul said, you've you got to deal with this. You're, you're angry. You've got to deal with the why of that. Anger is the what. And how you respond to that is a what? Why is that going on there? And I'm telling you, you got to deal with it now. And don't let it go on and on and on. Now, when we look at this verse, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath, depending on a translation. Most of us will say, well, that's why we're still sitting up arguing as husband and wife till 3 in the morning. Because the word of God said, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Which, by the way, it already did. And we're going to stay up all night until we get this straight. And then by 3 o'clock in the morning, most of you men are saying what? Sorry, can we just go to sleep? Well, that really doesn't deal with it. We men are classically known for that. Sorry, <laughs> we're like little kids, sorry. As if that fixes it all. I love, 
When I do premarital counseling, we do a diagnostic analysis called prepare and risk. One of the questions in there that every couple has to answer is when we're in an argument, I usually feel responsible. And they'll have to say, yes, I do or no, I don't through the process. And I love when I get them in a room because it's most of the guys who say that. And then this is my answer to them. To be really honest with you, most of the time you are. And many times we are. But the issue isn't time thing. It's not about a clock. It's not saying, okay, well, we got 24 hours to solve this, honey, and let's get it done. Because the scripture said, don't let, it's not about a time clock. It's about an issue that if you leave unresolved, in this case he uses anger, I can give you a hundred other ones, but you leave that unresolved and the enemy has had access to your life and he says, I got it. I got it. And the issue here is anger. It could be sensuality. It could be any kind of fornication. It could be anything along that line. It could be the way you look at life, the way you look at people, the things you say, and you leave it unresolved. It could be an area of your life because dad was always like that or mom was always like that and beat me up verbally or physically. You leave that unresolved and leave it there. The enemy has an opportunity to camp. That's what the word stronghold means. And he's going to stay. Well, I'm a Christian. That can't be. Oh, yes, it can. He wouldn't say, that's who he's talking to as Christians. And you leave that area unresolved and the enemy says, I got it. We get to Ephesians chapter 6 and we talk about the warfare that we're in, the power of the enemy and the power of the cross and the power of Christ and the armor of God. We will be as clear as you've ever heard on that subject. But I'm telling you, if you leave it unresolved, the enemy will be out to destroy you. He's a keen observer of humanity. He's smarter than way we think he is and certainly more than we give him credit for. And he'll look at your life, he'll watch you and say, I got it. If you're a follower of Christ, I'm a, I'm a, I accepted Jesus as my savior, I'm on a journey to become like Christ. There's a real honest heart-to-heart -heart conversation that we need to have with God and say, okay, God, I really, I am on this journey. I love you. I want to be with you for eternity. I really want to be like you. I want to walk the walk that you're calling me to. But there are some areas in my life, some junk I, I just got to get rid of. The song that we sang earlier, All to Jesus I Surrender. And when I got up, and I said it to me, it's got to be more than just words on a screen, but honesty. So next Sunday, we're going to pull it all together. But even now, at this moment, is there areas of your life, things in your life, the Spirit of God would say to you right now as we give him 60 seconds. He's not on a time crunch. He's always available. But just in these next few, few moments would say, you know what? I think you know this area. You've got to get rid of this because it's pulling you down instead of building you up. What would it be? Father, I love the fact that your spirit doesn't beat us up. We beat ourselves up and we let the enemy beat us up, but your spirit never uses that. 
as a way of moving us in a direction to become more and more like you. So Spirit of the living God, help us to clearly hear your voice above all the other voices. And during these days together, be really honest that when I look in the mirror and I'm in the dark, when no one else sees, that's the area. We really do want to be more like you. And we know that your word clearly tells us pretty much has to be obvious. So help us to, uh, to work through that well with the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name. Here at Community Alliance, we've got two of the best counselors I've ever seen that come from Christian Counselors Collaborative in Pittsburgh. They have 16 or 18 counselors, and God has blessed us at CAC with having two of the best. One comes on Monday, Tom, Amanda, three days a week in the middle of the week. We'd love to help you with that. We as a pastoral team would love to help you. One of the hardest things about a message that I know at 10 o'clock this morning is where I'm going to stop based on the fact that I had a lot of material and I knew I was going to break it in half is how you pull it together. And so I'd love for you to come back next Sunday morning. It will be a little bit PG because I want to be really honest and as open as I possibly can about what staying away from sexual immorality looks like in our context today. So I'm telling you that up front so that you're not surprised by that. But I just feel like God's given us a platform. I want to be straight up about that. And uh, so we'll deal with that next week. There's some unbelievable topics in this that I want us to share together. And I'd love for you to come back each week. Invite a friend. We're being as straight up as we know how with the Word of God. So invite them in if they want to hear the Word of God and what it teaches about life and living in the cultural context we live in. We'll talk about that. God bless you. Have a great, great day. If I can pray for you or we can, let us know. Have a great, great day.